Turn with me, if you will, to Romans chapter 3. If you go to a university or a college and take an introductory course in philosophy, they will usually start out by telling you that there are some great questions of life that uh, need to be answered. Who am I? Why am I here? Where am I going? All of those questions, by the way, can only really satisfactorily be answered by the Word of God. But one of the greatest questions of time or eternity is how can man be right before a holy God? And the Bible's answer to that that is this doctrine that we call justification. And the first impression you might get in turning to the subject of justification after dealing with the other words that we've looked at that are involved in salvation in Romans chapter 3, like words like redemption and propitiation, is the abundance of material to be considered about justification. Although the word propitiation is of great importance for understanding the nature of the atonement, it is found only four times in the New Testament. And it's not translated properly in, in some translations. I said last week, some translations incorrectly translated expiation, uh, which is a totally different doctrine. Redemption, though it is quite frequent, comes up often in Christian vocabulary uh, and in the Old Testament, is not used too much in the New Testament. The word reconciliation occurs five times in the New Testament, all of them in the Pauline writings. By contrast, the word justification, diakosuni, it and all of its adverbs and nouns and adjectives occurs 229 times in the New Testament. The frequency of the words alone would tell us that we are talking about something that is central, pivotal, uh, in the doctrine of salvation. Listen to some quotes of, of some of the church fathers regarding this doctrine. John Calvin, the father of the Presbyterian and Reformed churches, called justification the main hinge on which salvation turns. Thomas Cramner, the framer of the Church of England, said that justification is the strong rock and foundation of Christian religion. He said, whoever denies this doctrine is not to be counted as a true Christian man, but an adversary of Jesus Christ. Thomas Watson, one of the finest of the Puritans, said, justification is the very hinge and pillar of Christianity. An error about justification is dangerous, like a defect in a foundation. Justification by Christ is a spring of the water of life. To have the poison of corrupt doctrine cast into this spring is damnable. And the great reformer Martin Luther said, when the article of justification has fallen, everything has fallen. This is the chief article from which all other doctrines have flowed. It alone begets, nourishes, builds, preserves, and defends the church 
of God. And without it, the church of God cannot exist for even one hour. Luther said that justification is the master and prince, the Lord, the ruler, and the judge over all kinds of doctrines. These statements are not exaggerations. They present simple truth. Because justification is God's answer to that most important of all human questions. How can a man or woman become right in the sight of a holy God? We are not right with God in ourselves. We are under God's wrath. Justification is vital because we must become right with God or perish eternally. We will either become right with God by justification, by Jesus Christ, or we will suffer condemnation in hell forever. We begin with a description. Uh, and, and it's a, another question as far as justification is concerned. If it is as crucial a doctrine as these men believed, uh, why have we not encountered it before now? Uh, and the answer is, that's precisely what we've been doing. We've been talking about justification throughout the book of Romans. I said the, the Greek word, diakosuni, is built upon the word for right, or righteousness. And it is a lack of this righteousness and our need of righteousness our justification that is not our own that has concerned us throughout the study that we've been going through. As far back as Romans chapter 1 verse 17, we saw that the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. That's justification. That's exactly what he's talking about in chapter 1 and verse 17. Or again in Romans 3, we saw that a righteousness from God apart from the law has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. Verse 21, that is also a reference to justification. And in between those two verses, between Romans 1.17 and 3.21, is a long section showing that no one can be justified by his or her own merits. You can't be justified by good works. You cannot be justified by anything that you do. Church membership does not justify you. Baptism does not justify you. Simply making a decision, filling out a card, does not justify you. None of those things will do. And that's what Paul is saying in that long section. He ends by saying, therefore, no one will be declared righteous. That is, no one will be justified in God's sight by observing the law. But rather through the law, we become conscious of sin. The law tells us we're sinners, but he can't do anything to save us. The law is valuable. The law is good. The law is holy. For it tells us what we are. And what we are is ruined. What we are is vile, ugly, sinners, wretched, under the wrath of God. 
That's what the law shows us. So really, up to this point, the entire book of Romans has been about this doctrine. We might also look at the other words that we've studied uh, to indicate uh, what those words mean with, in relation to Christ dying for us. Think of the words redemption and propitiation, which we've already studied and tied into justification. <clears throat> and it's not possible to have one of these without having the other. I, I put a little diagram on your bulletin there. Uh, I, it's not original with me. I, nothing much is except my mistakes. But uh, I, I think this diagram actually came from Dr. James Montgomery Boyce, but he called it the salvation triangle. Uh, so you've got a, a triangle with three sides. God the Father is at the top point of the triangle, the Lord Jesus Christ on the bottom left, and ourselves on the bottom right. Notice that each of the three sides of the triangle represents one facet of these salvation doctrines that we have been studying. The line on the bottom stands for redemption. It links the Lord Jesus Christ and mankind. It describes what he does in relation to his people. He redeems them. He purchases them at the price of his own blood. He dies for our sins. And so the arrow points from Jesus Christ to us. We are the object of redemption. He is the subject of the action. We are the object. He is the redeemer. And we are the redeemed. The line on the left connects the Lord Jesus Christ and God the Father. And that stands for propitiation. Because propitiation describes what the Lord Jesus Christ did for us in relationship to the Father. We looked at that doctrine last week. And I said, we don't need to be propitiated. God does. God's holiness, God's wrath must be satisfied. His holiness must be satisfied. His wrath turned aside. And we are unable to make propitiation. We can't satisfy God's wrath. We can't turn it aside. Why? Because all of us are sinners. We have no righteousness of our own. There is no righteousness that of ours that will satisfy the wrath of God. Turn it aside from us. So Jesus Christ does that for us. He turns aside God's wrath. So that arrow points from Jesus to the Father. Jesus the Son propitiates God the Father. In that case, Jesus is the subject of the action... But the Father is the object. Jesus is the one that makes propitiation. God the Father is the one who is propitiated. He is satisfied. He said that this is my beloved Son. And he proved that his wrath had been turned aside. How? By raising Jesus Christ from the dead. So we are said to be resurrected on the basis of that. The final line of the salvation triangle connects God the Father with ourselves. That represents justification. God is the subject of the action. He justifies us. And we are the object. 
we are the ones who are justified. This diagram tells us a great deal about how God saves fallen men and women. Uh, redemption and propitiation both issue from the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the one that has achieved our salvation. It is His work. We are the recipients of two actions, redemption and justification. We contribute nothing. Salvation is of the Lord. You've heard me say many times before, in salvation, we provide the sinner. God provides everything else. It is by grace alone that we are saved. We do not contribute anything. God the Father is the recipient of one action, propitiation, and the author of one action, justification. This makes clear that it is on the basis of Christ's work of propitiation that we are justified. It is because Jesus Christ paid the price of our salvation by dying in our place that God can justify the ungodly. That is, He can be both just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. And, and that's, I realize that most people today don't see that as a problem. That's because they don't know who God is. They think, well, God just can forgive. I mean, He's God, that's what He does. But if God forgives without being propitiated, then He is unholy. He's let sinful people off the hook. That's not justice. That's, just, that's mercy without justice. That won't work. It is only in the death of Christ that God's wrath can be turned aside. He dies for us. He pays the penalty that we should be paying. Uh, and the point that I'm trying to make here, I don't know if I'm doing it or not, the point I'm trying to make is that these three words are inextricably bound together. Redemption, propitiation, justification. They're all bound together, and together they form that salvation triangle. But what does justification refer to specifically? I said redemption is, is a word that uh, is taken from the marketplace. It concerns buying and selling. It indicates the price that Jesus paid for our deliverance because it was used often uh, in, the, in the buying of slaves. It has overtones of being delivered from the slavery of sin. Christ freed us from sin's slavery by his death. Propitiation, as we saw in our study last week, is a term borrowed from the world of ancient religion. It describes a sacrifice that turns away the wrath of God. In ancient times, worshipers thought they could turn away God's wrath by themselves, but that can't be done. Uh, in Christianity, we understand that no mere human being could possibly satisfy God's holiness, God's demand for holiness. A perfect substitute must die. 
in order for God's wrath to be propitiated, in order for His wrath to be turned aside. And only God can do that. And so God became a man, the incarnation. Jesus Christ came to this earth and lived a perfect life. He lived a perfect life and died in the place of those who have not lived a perfect life so that God's wrath might be turned aside. But justification is a word that comes from courts of law. It describes the act of a judge in acquitting an accused person. So justification is a legal term. That means to declare righteous. It's important that you understand the words acquitting and declaring. One of the most common mistakes made in justification is to believe that God actually makes us righteous. Now there is a righteousness that flows from justification. We call it sanctification. you, You begin down the road of seeking to do the will of God at all times. To love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. To love your neighbor as yourself. It's tied in there. But the act itself, justification itself, means to declare righteous. God declares you righteous. I, I, I said before, you know, Baptists, bless their little pointed heads, love cliche bumper sticker theology. So many years ago, someone came up with the idea, justification is just as if I'd never sinned. No, it is not. First of all, you will be aware throughout all of eternity that you were a sinner saved by grace. All of eternity will be giving honor and glory and praise to the Lamb that was slain. Why was He slain? Because I am a filthy sinner. And I need that justification. And besides that, suppose, suppose that you go stand before God just as if you've never sinned. Where is your righteousness? Because perfect righteousness is required to enter heaven. You ain't got none. That's why theologians talk of a double imputation in justification. Our sins are imputed to Christ. His righteousness imputed to us. And God declares that we are righteous. We're not actually made righteous. The reformers called it justified but still sinful. We continue to commit sin. We don't do it with impunity as believers. We don't do it without the discipline of God. We don't do it without having remorse about it and repentance coming. But justification only indicates that the person has a right standing before the bar of God's justice. Doesn't indicate how they got that way, which is why the other terms are necessary. How does God declare you to be righteous? Redemption, propitiation. Jesus Christ redeems us by His blood, propitiates the Father, the Father justifies us. Got that triangle again. 
All of the words are necessary. All of the doctrines must be considered. Let me put it another way. Justification is the opposite of condemnation. When a person is found to stand in a wrong relationship to the law, they are condemned. They are pronounced guilty by the judge. The person does not necessarily have to be guilty. There have been innocent people that have been condemned. You understand? So condemnation is simply the act of the judge declaring them to be guilty. Justification is the act of God declaring us to be righteous. He declares us righteous. Not because we've done anything. Simply declaring us righteous on the basis of the finished work of Jesus Christ. Salvation is then just believing that. That Jesus Christ paid the penalty for our sins. And that God will declare us righteous if we trust in Him. In His finished work. A person could be declared righteous on the basis of his or her own righteousness. And such a one would be declared innocent in a court of law. But in salvation, we have no righteousness of our own. We can't be declared righteous on our own because we don't have any righteousness. That, again, the long section from 118 to 321, that's what Paul's saying. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness. There's none righteous, not one. There's none that seeks after God. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. It helps to understand here, I think, that the full New Testament doctrine of justification is justification by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Justification is by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. That's what Paul declares in this study. The source of our justification, he says, is the grace of God. Since there is no one righteous, not even one, as he tells us in chapter 3, verse 10, it is patently clear that no one can make or declare themselves righteous. So salvation is only possible if God does the work for us. That's what grace means. We do not deserve God working for us. Paul emphasizes here that his grace comes freely or as a gift, a free gift, which I said before is redundant, but it's so wonderful. It's a free gift. God gives it To us, the ground of our justification is the work of Christ. It is Christ who propitiates the Father. It is Christ who redeems the sinner. Do you know what amnesty is? Amnesty comes from the word amnestia, which means to forget. If you have amnesia, it means you've forgotten something. 
My wife has accused me for years of having a selective amnesia. I resemble that remark. But anyway, amnesty is pardon without principle. It's a forgiveness which overlooks or forgets wrongdoing and declines to bring it to justice. Justification is not amnesty. God doesn't just overlook sin. He punishes sin in the person of Jesus Christ. When God justifies sinners, He's not declaring bad people to be good. He's not saying that they're not sinners after all. He is pronouncing them legally righteous, free from any liability to the broken law because he himself in the person of his son has borne the penalty of their lawbreaking. He's paid the price of the broken law. In other words, we are justified by his blood. That, that's what Paul is dealing with, with this cryptic reference to passing over the sins previously committed to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness. Paul was thinking in temporal terms. Before the incarnation and death of Christ, if you will, to put it reverently, there'd been something of a stain on God's name. For centuries, he had been refusing to condemn men like Abraham, who was willing to compromise his wife's honor to save his own life. He had passed over the sins of men like Moses. You remember who murdered an Egyptian. David, who committed adultery and then murdered Uriah to cover it up. Or a woman like Rahab, the prostitute of Jericho. God had been saving these people. When they died, he did not send them to hell. And someone looking on might say, well, God's not just. He didn't punish their sins. Why? He was looking forward to the Lamb of God who would take away the sin of the world. All of those animals slain on Jewish altars, millions of them did not atone for sin. It simply looked forward to to the one sacrifice that would atone for sin. In the death of Jesus Christ, God's name is vindicated. He is just and the justifier. That's how God justifies the ungodly. The means of our justification is faith. Faith is the channel by which justification comes to us. It becomes Hours. We're going to look at that a little more in another study. Yeah, yeah, we're still going to be in chapter 3. But let's notice some things here, first of all, about faith. Number one, faith is not a good work. Faith is necessary. It is essential, but it is not a good work. As a matter of fact, it's not a work at all. Faith is the gift of God. Paul makes that clear in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. 
When you get to heaven, you can't, well, you know, you can't say, well, I, I exercise faith. That's how I got here. Really? And where'd you get that faith? Well, God gave it to me. All glory to him. It was a gift. He just gave it to me. And although faith is the means of our justification, it is also the only means of justification. In the Protestant Reformation, Martin Luther added the little word sola to the word faith. Sola fide. Sola fide. Faith alone. Not in the text here, but it's necessary. It's necessary because it is faith alone that saves. Nothing else can be added to it. If faith is not a good work, it's just simply receiving what God has done for us, what He freely offers us, then it is by faith alone that we can be justified. Nothing else will do. All other works are excluded by definition. The only means by which any person can ever be justified is by believing God and receiving what He offers. Believe God, receive what He offers. The effect of our justification is union with Christ. Union with Christ. One of the greatest verses of Scripture in the whole Bible talks about that union with Christ and it talks about that double imputation. 2 Corinthians 5.21 He, that is God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. All of the sins of all who would ever believe were placed upon Christ who knew no sin. God made him to be sin so that we might become the righteousness of God in him, in Christ. Union with Christ gives to us eternal life. It is the ground of salvation. And the question then is, are you in Christ? Have you been justified by what he achieved for you at Calvary? I said there's all kinds of important questions as you go through life. Who am I? Why am I here? Where am I going? Who is God? How can I please God? But the greatest question is how can I become right with God? How can I be justified in his sight? Am I justified? If not, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. It is by believing in Him, by faith in Him. Faith is that channel. Faith doesn't save you. Faith never saved anyone. Faith is the means of justification. It is Jesus Christ who saves. It is believing what Jesus Christ has done and who He is that salvation comes to us. So that like the tax collector that I talked about last week, we can believe and go to our homes justified, declared to be righteous in the sight of a holy God, not by our own works, 
but by what he has done. Let's pray.